Welcome to the UCR Cadets episode 10, recorded on the 20th of October 2012, your best exchange and link podcast. I'm Steve Goodman, and this week I'm joined by co-hosts John Cook, Michael Van Horenbeek, Sir Cam Varenglue, Johan Velders, Stole Hansen, and Michael DeRoy. Uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be back on this uh, milestone episode 10. <laughs> yes, so that's a good few minutes that we've been going now. Uh, so, what have you been up to since uh, you were on uh, the podcast two weeks ago? Uh, well, I'm planning on uh, uh, spending next week about my surface, which I ordered yesterday, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I'm also getting ready to, to, to roll over to a new project, uh, a, a decent-sized uh, link, link uh, deployment. And Michael, uh, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks for having me again. Yes, welcome back. Uh, you all recovered from Mech now, I take um, it? Well, I had a pretty good <laughs> vacation after Mech, so um, yeah. But I've been pretty busy since, uh, traveling a lot. Uh, went to the Ignite, gave the re-delivery of the Ignite, and I'm looking forward to go to Tech Europe in Barcelona next week. Um, so yeah, pretty busy. Yeah, you'll have to tell us a little bit more about that uh, in the show. And Sirkan. Hey guys. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. How's it going? Good, great. After Mech, as you know, I took two weeks off and this week I started working again, which was painful. But <laughs> <laughs> after three weeks, it's, I mean, all the projects were waiting for me and now I'm trying to finish up all those projects and get back to my normal life. Where, where do you work and live again? Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna say, <laughs> but it's nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, and Joanne, uh, welcome back. Hi, Steve. Yeah, fine. Thanks for having me. Uh, and what have you been up to over the last few weeks? Uh, well, busy with uh, implementing a greenfield uh, X directory. Yeah, which is. Uh, Pretty cool. And also been busy with a customer who migrated from live.edu to uh, Office 365 and where Microsoft forgot something yeah, to migrate. Yeah, I, I have a good friend who was complaining about that too. Apparently there's some, some holes there. Oh, come on, tell us. Yeah. I, I've done, a, yeah. I, I've done a one or two so far myself. That might be a good topic for another episode because actually... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because in, in this case they totally forgot to, to migrate the Federation. So Ooh. we did try to set up the, the federation part between the on-premise environment and Office 365 and uh, so it gave some, uh, some, some warnings about uh, not getting uh, the right information and so but still we're busy with it so I'm fantastic I, I, I thought all the uh, backend uh, stuff was automated after you press that upgrade button <laughs> yeah that <laughs> that's what the guy from uh, from support also told me, but I said, yeah, he has to prove that um, because he said, yeah, you are, your customer has done the migration manually. I said, yeah, no. <laughs> he has to prove of the, of the email that uh, you migrated it, so yeah. <laughs> please fix it because it doesn't work uh, correctly at the moment. Uh, well, I suppose that's what you get when you're uh, on the cutting edge or you, you hit the early upgrade button, uh, but at least they had some support from you then. Is that the first one yeah. you've done? Oh uh, yeah, from live at EDU, yeah, yes. Yeah. But yeah, the rest of it was um, pretty easy. Uh, customer did add um, yeah some test use in live at EDU, so it doesn't 
didn't contain any uh, real data oh, right. and didn't set up the AirSync, etc. So we, you know, we set up the whole environment and everything is working fine except for the federation part. But yeah, that should be fixed soon. Well, once uh, Microsoft has fixed the uh, the federation on their side. So they they weren't actually they're using the production yet. No, no, not really. <laughs> just for test purposes. How, how come they didn't just dump the domain and register a new tenant? Because that would have been easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. That that was my opinion also. But yeah, and they said yeah, Microsoft can migrate us, and I said yeah, well. If they can migrate you, yeah, well, do it. And uh, well, at least you get to see what can go wrong, anyway. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Th thankfully, the the one I uh, did last uh, in Wales uh, was a little bit easier. Uh, nothing really went wrong, uh, and uh, I was going out in uh, one or two days. Um, but that did have, uh, I think, it's about ten thousand users on it. Uh, okay. Oh, actually, more than that because they got all their alumni as well. So yeah. That was that was interesting, but uh, uh, the, the customer was really you know, eager to do it, uh, you know, rather than wait for all the automated bits to be in place. Yeah, I did expect that this um, default kind of things goes wrong because Live.edu uh, looked like Microsoft and they didn't change the, the federation with their own federation gateway, which I uh, found out that there were two kind of federation gateways, one for consumers and one for um, yeah, for normal customers. <laughs> you should have seen my blog post from about 18 months ago on that. Right? Yeah, 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 that's that the one I found. I said, yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, it's from Steve, hmm, nice information. Yeah. Uh, well, so that's what I found out and yeah, then I, then we looked at the, the, the settings via PowerShell. We should yeah. probably go through. Immediately. We should probably go through this properly on a, a topic in the future because it's it's going to be something that comes up more. We've strayed a little bit off yeah. topic now, but uh, I think yeah. it's it's something that's, that's definitely going to be of interest to uh, a lot of uh, a lot of listeners because uh, there's there's something like ninety million live edge mailboxes uh, out there uh, that are, are in the process of getting ready to migrate or migrating. So, uh, so LiveAD, you use a different uh, MFG than shared or on-prem would use? Uh, the, do, do you remember RTM of Exchange 2010 uh, used uh, a federation gateway and then it changed in service pad 1? Right. Uh, well, it uses the old OSM the consumer one is the one that's tied to Windows Live, and the business one is the one that's tied to Microsoft Online. So uh, everything from Service Pack 1 onwards uh, uses the business one. Uh, 2010 RTM uses the consumer one, that's why you have to have a certificate, right, right, uh, right. you know, third-party certificate, uh, and they sort of split them at that point. And Office 365, if you have a look at the gateways, you'll see both gateways there, whether or not you're allowed to edge your customer as well. Uh, so it's it's bound to both, uh, but I, I I don't know yet myself what happens when a live edge turn uh, goes over whether uh, the federation breaks. Uh, it sounds like it probably does. Yeah, well, it's listed both, but when you look at the specific parameter, I can't remember it right now. You can see that it only talks to the MS. Federation Gateway for uh, Windows Live, yeah. and not for the other one. Even after the upgrade? Yeah, they, they can they can change it, but they need to do it on the other side. So right, okay. you can't type in uh, 
change or set the uh, federation uh, trust and etc. You you can't you can't change manually. That you will need to create a case with uh, with support and they can change it. So, it takes a week so to the, change it. So the good news is if you've set it up via the long and complicated article I, I wrote eighteen months ago, it won't break, uh, and then you can just redo it through the hybrid configuration. Is that I guess? Um. Well. I'm not pretty sure if that's the case, but no, well, we'll see. People, yeah. people look at my blog because I will. I'll write a blog about it. So this is going to be a future topic anyway, because uh, we're, we're way off topic. We're still on the <laughs> intros. <laughs> so, Joe, let's 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 uh, put that uh, to one side for now, and we'll for next episode, and we'll talk offline a bit more, and uh, see if we can come together with a nice big topic for uh, giving some some proper tips. I've still got a few uh, love edgy tenants. Uh, that I can upgrade as test as well to write about if people are interested. So if you are interested and you're listening, uh, let us know and we'll make sure that uh, we give that the attention it deserves. Uh, so anything else last week then, Joanne? No, oh, no, that's logic. <laughs> Have a long week then. Uh, and Snowley, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Steve, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, how's things going? Yeah, going great. I spent the last week on uh, the linking night in uh, Frankfurt with uh, lots of uh, link colleagues and uh, Microsoft uh, presenting, so I had a good time. Yeah, it sounds like you did. Uh, uh, we were talking a little bit before the episode about it, and uh, that's going to be an interesting topic that's coming up. Uh, and uh, I think we're going to have a couple of guests from that as well, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I talked to some uh, Microsoft uh, guys and uh, met some uh, Link guys there as well and asked them to be a guest on the podcast and um, yeah, they wanted to do it. Fantastic, that's good news. Um, Michael de Rouge, how's it going? I'm fine, Steve. Uh, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, have you had a busy week? I had a busy week, uh, rounding up uh, migration from 2003 to 2010 uh, exchange and... Uh, I also started working on the presentation I have to, uh, have to do in two weeks, so I'm setting up uh, some demo environment for that. And that's about it. That sounds like quite a busy week. <laughs> yeah, it can be a busy week, depending on uh, what you're doing and how uh, thorough you're, uh, you're being. Because, uh, yeah, that, that 20, 2003 to 2010 migrations, uh, there's also some public folder stuff involved. I, uh, Keeps getting back that uh, <laughs> that part of the introduction when I'm up. <laughs> uh, uh, well, the amount of times you must do public folder migrations, it, it must be like Groundhog Day. Uh, I know this for me. <laughs> uh, I'm taking over uh, a colleague who, who's left the company I work for as a decommission of Exchange 2003 uh, coming up this week, and I was very pleased to hear that he's done all the public folder stuff uh, up front. Uh, I was you know, I was hoping I wouldn't get there like uh, another uh, uh, another person that uh, dumped one on me and I got there and I had 70 gig of public folders. And it's like, okay, you said you've done it all. <laughs> you haven't. <laughs> so, so I'm really hoping uh, <laughs> the next few days don't turn up like that. Well, this is uh, a large uh, international organization with uh, a lot of uh, distributed public folder uh, uh, copies which we are consolidating and we're talking about a few terabytes of data so it's not 70 gigs it's a bit more <laughs> so there's some thinking involved as well in planning and 
Well, that 70 gig was uh, me turning up for a half-day exchange fee commission. Uh, so, yeah, you know, in, in that case, it's like, well, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting it to be done. Uh, so, so, yeah, so uh, we've, we've been there before, haven't we? Yeah, that's about it, Steve. So, on to our top stories this week, and uh, if you haven't found this out already, you'll be pleased to know that uh, the Wave 15 group of products have all RTM, so that's Exchange, Link, SharePoint, and Office 2013. Uh, you'll be able to get those mid-November on TechNet, MSDN, uh, right about at the end of November, early December, uh, if you're a volume licensing customer, and general availability, which uh, I guess is buying it in a retail box if you still do that, uh, is going to be sometime in the first quarter of the year. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean, from an exchange point of view, you'll be able to move to it just yet, uh, because the Service Pack 3 for Exchange 2010 is a prerequisite for moving, and that's not expected until sometime in the first half of, uh, until the first half of 2013. Uh, Though there's no word yet on when or if there's going to be uh, an exchange service pack required for 2007, uh, whether that's going to be updates or, or service pack for, uh, so there's no word on a date for that yet. Uh, but from a link perspective, I believe, and uh, Snolly or someone will correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it's going to be the, the latest up, uh, update, uh, the October 2012 cumulative update is going to be the prerequisite on Link 2010 for upgrading to Link 2013. As far as we know, it is. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know what RTM means, that means it's when it's released to manufacturing. So when Microsoft say, right, the code is done, we're happy with it, it's good, it's stable, we're happy for this to go out to customer environments, uh, and it's at that point that all the wheels start turning to get that those codes wrapped up, ready uh, to put onto places like TechNet, RTM, and then a little bit later on when it does go into general availability. Uh, we've been accused of uh, going over uh, a lot of these three-letter acronyms uh, in previous episodes, so uh, we'll try our best to make sure that we mention these and don't just uh, bombard you with TechnoBabble. Uh, where we can. Yeah, and just, uh, point, just to clarify, because uh, somebody brought this up on Twitter uh, when the Office team announced the release for the RTM for Link. Do we know, can we, let's, let's, maybe we can clarify, did they say that Link server RTM or just Link the client as part of the Office bundle suite RTM'd? Because there was people arguing like whether or not they actually said that the Link server actually RTM'd or not. Does anyone know 100% if that's the case? I think I know 99% <laughs> that uh, it's a server because they haven't talked Sorry, about anything else. Know. Yeah, if you don't know, then no, then no, no one knows. <laughs> yeah, so I'm uh, pretty sure it's the server as well as the client. Yeah, I've just been saying to people, like, if it's not, then it's eminent. It should be eminent anyway, so, you know. But that was yeah. an interesting point somebody brought up on, on Twitter. There was Ken Lasko, like, hey, they're only saying that the client was RTM. No one said anything about server yet. <laughs> Well, isn't Link, uh, well, isn't that part of the Office 2013 client, RTM, the, the Link client? The Link client, yeah. Yeah, so when they say Office 2013, mind you, they say Office server, so yeah, I can see where people get mixed up. Uh, and you know, <laughs> who knows, you, you've got to assume the whole Wave 15 is RTM, but uh, from what they've been, <laughs> yeah, from, from what they've been saying. 
And talking of manufacturing and release of manufacturing, there's the Surface tablet as well, which has been manufactured and winking its way uh, to uh, a few of us here, not myself, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't want one yet. <laughs> but uh, the, the RT, uh, which is, what does RT stand for then? Well, I think it's, I think, isn't it Windows real time, or run, run time, right? So that it's, it's, it's basically it's the, it's the ARM-based uh, version, uh, you know, so Windows compiled for, for running on ARM CPUs that, and if people don't really know, you know, the ARM CPUs are, are in, you know, most smartphones, uh, iPads, iPhones, Android phones. Uh, Archimedes computers. <laughs> yeah, and others well, that could do a whole episode on, on the history of yeah. ARM and, and uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and they're known for for for, for uh, uh, lower density and lower power consumption. So um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how that plays out, uh, and, and you know what the because we still have no real reviews on the hardware yet, and we don't know what the battery life's going to be yet. Really, I think they did they did put some projections on the Surface site uh, comparing it to the to the Windows 8, uh, the Surface Pro, which is you know a typical x86 uh, uh, device that runs an Intel chip. Um, and you know, many 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 OEMs are making ver the, the, both both versions, but uh, we expect to see the pro versions out like in the January timeframe for most uh, most uh, uh, vendors. I mean, I'm excited. I, I pre-ordered one, um, and uh, they should be shipping uh, to us on October 26th. Uh, I'm pretty stoked, uh, and and and, if, and for you know for, for a variety of reasons, and I think we talked about this before, but the the, the Link RT client should be released in the same day. Um, and that's going to again to be the, the, the client that's going to run on these ARM tablets, and it's going to be you know similar in, in, in design to um, what the 2013 uh, client uh, preview client was like, um, and it just looks really really cool. Right? You know, so just having this tablet that has a fully functional version of Link as opposed to Link mobile versions that we have today um, is going to is that what sold it for you? Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to buy I buy devices anyway, <laughs> so. But I mean that's the no, that's one of my. I thought you had iPhones and iPads. Yeah, I mean I've got I've got you know you name the device I've got it. Um, I mean it, you know part of it just yeah, I keep multiple versions of clients around for testing for you know if I'm on a project and we have to test the uh, Android you know I got an Android tablet I got and a phone I got Windows phone I've got iOS you know um, iOS is my daily driver and we know how big of an Apple fanboy I am but uh, um, it's it, it's not that also it's not just Link it's I think also. Uh, OneNote MX, I really like. I'm a big fan of OneNote anyway, um, and the MX version, um, you know, which is the Windows 8 style uh, interface, is pretty slick. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, it's definitely. I'm looking at it more as not to replace my iPad because there's you know all kinds of things about ecosystem and media and all that stuff, but more as kind of a second laptop in a way, um, instead of carrying around you know a big 17-inch monster and my Air, I might carry just my Air and this, you know. Well, um, with regards to that, uh, about the Surface, um, I totally agree that a Pro version could be a kind of a laptop replacement up till a certain point. But if you take a look at the RT version, uh, it's more a consumer device where you're lacking the ecosystem, at least for now. Um, it doesn't make it me want it less. I definitely want one. Um, 
if I would be able to get one because we can't pre-order it in Belgium. <laughs> so that's another uh, another problem. But I'm actually more interested in um, how the device will perform and uh, something that's quite important, what the battery life will be. Um, there were no benchmarks, no information, um, no specs on, on what you could expect uh, as far as I know. So um, uh, I just might wait a week or two to know uh, what yours is going to do before I buy my one. <laughs> Well, the, the Surface thing had uh, something on Reddit, I think, uh, a little while back, uh, well, just a few days ago, uh, with the product team talking about uh, all the different bits of it. So people were asking questions about, you know, the display's less resolution, uh, uh, you know, why is it less than the iPad? And they, they're asking a lot of questions on that uh, and, and around battery life. And uh, although it wasn't concrete specs, it was, you know, I, I went on a, a plane trip from, you know, all halfway around the world, and the battery lasted me all the way, no problems at all. Uh, and from the screen resolution, they they seem to be trying to say that it looks better than a, the new iPad with the Retina display, uh, due to the way that the screen's made uh, and bonded together, and it's got a, a better contrast. And combining that contrast. Uh, and all the factors about the resolution and clear type, it, it looks better to the eye than the iPad. But I find that fairly hard to believe. I'm a bit dubious about whether that's really going to be the case. Well, uh, I mean, I think it also maybe you know depends on you know the way the apps are optimized too. I mean, the the Windows 8 style interfaces are going to be larger text and stuff. So maybe you know the advantages. I mean, obviously, you know, I've had every generation of iPad. I have an iPad, you know, the, you know, iPad new, iPad three with Retina. Um, you know, I mean, do I notice it? Yeah, like book reading and stuff. Definitely, it's it's noticeable. But if you held, to a lot of people, if you put two, you know, the iPad 2 and 3 together, will they really see it? I mean, some places certainly, you know. Um, and well, yeah, if you look at the screen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you, you know, will they really notice the higher resolution? Sometimes it really, it's hard to really notice, you know, unless you really know what you're looking at. Uh, well, I think when you've got one beside the other and you, you look at the two, it's it's like night and day. Well, yeah, uh, especially... I, I think yeah, and if you, somewhere I, I read that, you know, that our kids... Well, the next generation aren't going to know what it looks like to see a pixel on a screen because the resolution of screens is just going to be so. Well, high. it's true. Um, uh, even even for me, uh, between the you know iPhone four and you know five through through five and, and iPad three, just like looking at my Air screen, I mean, I see you now when when you're not when you're used to not seeing pixels, when you see them, they kind of jump out. You know, it's sort of like like oh, you're like oh, that's that's kind of crazy, you know. But it, um, I, I definitely think that the Surface team, you know, it, Microsoft really seems like they're, you know, not to sound like, you know, a, 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 a fanboy, but I mean, they seem like they're really getting it. They, you know, they did a lot of work. They're really setting up this team to succeed, I think, in a lot of ways. So I, it's really interesting to, to see this all playing out. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of excited, you know. I mean, it, it looks like as of today, all the pre-orders in the U.S. have sold out on the store right now, um, including the, you know, the higher-end versions. So... That's a good sign. Have they said how many versions that is? Mm, no. They, uh, they not how many versions, sorry. Uh, how many, well, what I mean, how many units that no, is? No, no one knows. I mean, they, they were saying they were going to make three to four million, you know, this quarter. Um, how much they're holding back to put the, the, the retail stores and the pop-up stores that they're opening up um, around, you know, next week uh, remains to be seen. But, you know, at least it's at least it's a good sign that some are selling. It could easily be a hundred thousand, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, they, it could be a million for all we know. It's it certainly that's, probably that's more like, than any single uh, Android ta- tablet that has sold in, in a single you know weekend is sold today. So that's a lot. That, that, I, I am surprised that you know if it is those kind of figures, which if they're, they're planning that many for the quarter, it's got to be a reasonable amount. 
uh, then you know it's, it's surprising me because uh, it's, you've not you've not heard of Windows phones selling out uh, the, the same way this happens. No, and it is and it is a sexy looking tablet as well. Uh, I I had the iPad last night and I, I stuck on a splash top connected it to a Windows 8 VM and I I, I have to say Windows 8 does work pretty well on a tablet. It's it's suddenly not annoying at all in the slightest. Everything seems to work quite well. Uh, even opening up Office. One of the things that's a, that I thought would be a bit rubbish was using Office, and it does seem to work quite well. So the on-screen keyboard, even when you're in the desktop mode, pushes up the desktop rather than being overlaid on it. Uh, and and that, that's nice. And the, So the usability is there. But the first thing that struck me was suddenly the iPad looked really old with the Windows 8 UI on it. It just looked too <laughs> rounded and... Oh, yeah. you know, I, I'll have to, to pop a, a picture with the ground, but it just doesn't. It just didn't have that. Well, and I think everyone's biggest concern industrial and I would probably, design qualities. I would probably agree, especially on the RT version. I think the, the the biggest answer Microsoft still has to answer with any to anybody is what's the difference? You know, fundamentally, what's the difference between RT and Pro? Um, and really, yeah. the whole just disconnect between the desk having the legacy desktop and then the you know Windows 8, formerly known as Metro interface. To some people, it's going to be like, okay, so now I have this desktop that I can't do anything really with except Office. It's just kind of, that, that's my only one beef. I think it, it would make sense to me on, on the RT tablets, just get rid of the desktop altogether and only have the, the Windows 8 interface. But um, but we'll see. You know, I mean, I... I think Office is the killer thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. Because it's having that, that almost full Office. Right. And it's a transition yeah. kind of thing, maybe. I can see that. You know, like here, you know, here's, to, here's what you do today in this mode. But here's what we're we're going with for you know going forward you know and uh, obviously the branding between all their apps and on the phones and you know and Windows 8 and phone um, is going to be consistent you know and then Windows 8 and then Office 8 and or Office 15 and all that is going to be consistent so yeah I, I can see that you know but it just it, I think that's a one learning curve for people who are like well what's this desktop what I mean a Pro it makes sense because the Pro is where you'll live most of the time but you can't install any uh, you know x86 apps in on the desktop in RT, so it's going to be like, well, all I can really do, and I don't know if a couple, about a month ago, they saw, you know, some of the, they did compile some of the apps, so Paint's there, a couple other things are there, you know, if Snooper was there, that'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Office uh, Office does seem worth it, because I I, I wouldn't use an iPad to write on, not because uh, of the keyboard, but because of the fidelity of the document. Because if I'm going to do anything for work or for, for, for home, for writing, I do for blogging or, or websites like that, I need the quality to be good. I don't want to open it in Word and find out that it's screwed up all my formatting. And there's got to be people who are like me, and that's why they don't want to do it on a tablet. Because I would much prefer to be just sitting on the sofa uh, in front of the telly and just doing a bit of casual writing. That you know, that, that'll give me extra time back. And that, that's where I was like, you know... It, should I buy a Surface now just well, for that benefit? Yeah, I mean, and for me, it, too, it's, it's a question of, you know, look, again, huge Apple fanboy, but, you know, there's a, here's a use case scenario that I do quite a bit, right? I'm going through the job boards. I'm looking for a new, new project. I go to, to, to apply. If it's not a mobile site, you know, it's designed to, to do that from the phone. You know, on the iPhone, I can't do, you know, I, again, all you the people who are not, not iOS fans, you can clap now. But the ability, you know, the inability to just grab an attachment from some store and mail it, on the iOS sucks. You know that's one annoying thing. So I usually, you know, and if I if my I, and if I'm, I'm doing this laying in bed, and I have my phone. And if I re- re- reach over to grab my iPad, I'm in the same boat. You know, 
I'd like to be able to reach over and grab a real desktop, uh, you know, ish device that I could do real, you know, that next next level of thing without going downstairs and getting, you know, sit in front of my desktop or whatever. So to me, that's a that's kind of a uh, another thing that I'm looking forward to is having a, you know, at, at hand next level device other than you know uh, what we consider a less functional device. Uh, the, the other thing with it is the, the licensing as well because it's, it's out as a consumer product but people are going to want to buy it for business uh, and manage it with, with things like ActiveSync as well uh, but there is one key thing with the licensing and that's uh, the, the license that it comes with it's, it's this home and uh, home student, student edition yeah, student, right. yeah. so but you have to buy a license for it or license it through volume licensing uh, to make sure that you're, you're legal to use it for business, even though you can't update it on the device. You, uh, and uh, and this is where I was like, a bit disappointed. There's no Outlook as part of that either. Yeah, uh, that so, is a, a kind of a bummer. I mean, that's one thing. And hopefully they'll maybe they'll look at changing that. I mean, I understand yeah. somebody was doing so no no archive access, for example. Right, and there's no. Um, um, well, again, I guess I could make you know just try two arguments against that. One, the the mail app is pretty good, I think, in, in Windows 8. Um, now it's got threaded mail. Yeah, and, the, and it's actually based, so there's policies and stuff. Um, and uh, and oh, it's still pretty good. You know, what I mean, so to me, that's not like a total deal breaker. In fact, you know, and because I'm coming from Mac, um, Mac a lot, uh, I use probably OWA now in 2010 on my Macs, and I use Outlook in a VM. You know, pretty much. Oh, is my main mail client now. So, I mean, for me, that's not the end of the world, but it does going to kind of suck when you really do need to go do something with Outlook. Um, and, you know, you're, you're lacking that. Thanks, John, for that. And I think moving on to our main topics, uh, we're going to talk about these Ignites uh, that uh, we, we heard about a little bit earlier in the intro. Uh, because both Michael and Stolly have been doing uh, these uh, for Exchange and Link, respectively. As, but I think we change. We're going to start our first main topic of the day by going with a link topic. Uh, so, Stole, uh, you have been on the Link Ignite for Link 2013 uh, this last week, haven't you? Yes, I have. And you enjoyed it? Yeah, uh, actually did, um, and uh, get got to uh, meet a lot of uh, Link uh, guys, hang out with them, and talk uh, Link tech. I uh, enjoyed it, and uh, and I, I enjoyed the content as well. So as someone who's never been to any of these Ignite events, uh, I've, I've talked to people about going, and uh, it's it's not really flipped to my switch. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what are they in a nutshell? Well, um, actually, Michael uh, had um, some good thoughts on that, as he also do the re-deliveries. Michael? Um, yeah, well, basically, the Ignite trainings are trainings organized by Microsoft, especially for their partners. Um, uh, well, depends on, on which type of uh, Ignite you're following. You've got the Ignites organized by Microsoft um, on a large scale, which are mostly on invite. So the one that you attended, uh, if I'm correct, uh, Stole was the one uh, that was on an invite. It was in Barcelona, was it? Or in Berlin? 
Yeah, mine was in Frankfurt and it was um, okay. in white as I'm a VTSP. Mm -hmm. um, so actually you need to be invited uh, as a partner to attend those. But then you also have uh, what they call the re-deliveries, um, which are usually organized by the, the local Microsoft um, uh, offices. And they are also open only for partners, uh, but... Uh, yeah, they're more localized, so they're more focused on the, the partners in that country. So are they, uh, are they training courses or events or a mix of two? Well, uh, they're they are training courses. So they're uh, multiple day training courses, depending on, on which track you follow. Um, that'll be three, four, sometimes even five days. Um, and they're um, around different topics. So usually you see the Ignites popping up uh, around the launch of new, uh, new technologies, new products. Um, so last year we, we had one around Office 365 and uh, this year you've got uh, Ignites around Link, uh, Exchange, Office 365, Office, SharePoint. So uh, pretty much about every part, product that's part of the release cycle of uh, the Wave 15 product. So how would they differ from, say, the, the beta versions of Exchange, Link and SharePoint courses uh, that uh, would normally be de delivered at customers at training centers? Well, um, the, the the key difference is that, um, and uh, I, I, well, at least what I think the key difference is, is that the trainings for customers are driven by Microsoft Learning and they are really more um, courses uh, that build up a story uh, through a three or five days, for instance. And the Link Ignites contain a lot of uh, additional information for partners as well. So they contain a little bit of marketing information, um, some, some labs as well also. But um, they're basically somehow the same, but contain yeah, additional information that you wouldn't want to get or you, you don't get as a regular customer in a training center. Also, my impression is uh, the Ignites are focusing um, um, much on what's new in the, the new product and uh, spend less time on uh, what's the same as the last product. So, uh, yeah, that's my impression anyway. Yeah. So, so if you're a customer and you're looking to, to do an upgrade and you you're talking to a consultant and they say they've just been on an exchange or link Ignite, that's a good thing to hear then. Well, from a, a yeah, from a reliability point of view, so you know that your partner is on top of things and is attending new technologies or uh, trying to spend uh, some time on new technologies, yes. But you can't compare it to, to the courses. Um, for instance, you've got a three-day uh, exchange, Office 365 and Office Ignite, um, which cover... Uh, all the basics, uh, what's new, and some of the technical stuff in those products. But if you take a look at the courses that you can follow, those are more tailored to a specific topic. Um, so there you have a, a base, a, a basic course or a more advanced course that go more deep dive into some of the technical stuff. So yeah, it's pretty good uh, from a basic point of view. Yeah, the ones I've been on, I mean, I've been on a couple and uh, I've had mixed results. But you know, generally, I think they're worth going to. Um, the Link Ignite, no, I, I, a lot of people said it was really worthwhile going. I was on the wait list, I think, I don't know when, actually, it's next week, I think, in, in Orlando is the last one in the U.S. And I'm on the wait list because I didn't hear about it, but uh, I couldn't go anyway, so it's kind of bummed. But if it wasn't one that was in Chicago, I definitely would try to get to one. Stolen, how was yours? I think it was great. Uh, it was both uh, end-user uh, experience uh, going through the client. And um, the training was made back in May and April, so 
back then the client wasn't that known uh, it is now but uh, uh, there also was some good technical sessions uh, and I also wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the highlights uh, from the main takeaways I got from that if if you have time for that yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so it was, um, I'm not going to dive uh, far down, but uh, it was three main takeaways for me that uh, was quite new uh, that I learned through the Ignite. And it was around migration. And um, the first thing and the second thing was around signing changes for the link client. And the third thing was uh, hybrid and hybrid voice. That's a little bit unknown to many. So for migration, um, what I learned there is uh, you need the latest uh, cumulative update for October 2012. Uh, it's released now, so everyone thinking about uh, migrating to 2013 should uh, deploy it uh, when they have tested it in the lab. But uh, the most important thing for me was that um, a 2013 deployment is reported running with a 2010 mediation server. So actually for me that is very good news because uh, when 2010 came uh, and we deployed 2010 we had to wait for Ziptrunks getting certified for Link 2010 but um, this time around we actually don't have to wait for uh, the certification pro uh, process for the Ziptrunks uh, going through. So um, I think that's uh, good news and also uh, in a migration perspective um, it's the same migration process as from um, between OCS R2 and Link 2010. So if you've done a, a migration for, to Link 2010, you know what to do in the Link 2013 perspective as well. So um, for me, that was actually good news. Yeah, I think I heard uh, something about that supported uh, scenario for the mediation server uh, on one of these uh, TechEd Australia Link sessions. Uh, for I think it's called demystifying the, the PBX with Link 2013, uh, and they went through that. You don't have to wait for the device certification uh, because you you can use that. So the the, the coexistence scenario is, is similar to OCS 2007 then with Link 2013. Uh, it's not a, a mix and match upgrade. Uh, no, uh, you can migrate directly from OCS R2 to Link 2013 or directly from 2010 to uh, uh, 2013. So, uh, and, and the process is the same as last time, um, deploying front-end servers, deploying edge servers, and then moving services and users uh, when you have piloted it. So, yeah, the process will be the same. But you need to remember that third-party integrations like uh, trusted applications and stuff like that needs to be tested for 2013 be before you move on. Yeah, one thing I noticed too uh, with installing it, so in coexistence with, it's similar to, to the way um, um, you, know, you merge topology between OCSR2 and, and Link, um, you know, the, the, the OCS topology went into the Link topology as a back compatible site. Now in 2013, the, you know, and it was sort of like, you know, you, it basically was a read-only kind of thing. You only could kind of just see the, the, the OCS attributes because obviously it was built on WMI and so it wasn't, you know, technically the same. But now it's a lot more similar, and at least you know, just play with the, the preview to like an exchange migration where you know you could, the, some some of the tools will work between the two, but the master you know you want to use the, the version that is the newer version. So when you merge with 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 2010, the 2013 topology builder is the kind of the the you know, the boss. Now you can't really make direct changes in 20 
tens topology, but it'll kind of say, hey, uh, it's a deprecated version. Yep, that's true. So uh, I think that will actually speed up um, adoption of 2013. And um, if uh, uh, when we deployed 2010 um, RTM, we had some cases around that, and uh, it was quite stable. So um, I wouldn't think less of 2013 as well. As for my part, I'm changing focus to 2013 now, so it will be exciting to see um, how it will run. So if you were going to be uh, proposing something now or over the next month or two, would you be really focusing on 2013 rather than 2010? Uh, would you see from uh, you know December, uh, January onwards doing many 2010? Uh, implementations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it depends on uh, it's case by case actually, uh, because um, the, it depends on what services they want, what integrations they want, um, and um, uh, also um, uh, what the time frame is. So, um, um, but we will uh, use 2013 uh, if uh, it uh, it's applicable. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Actually, I, I, this, uh, I, I might be starting a, a new link uh, deployment uh, in the next month or so. And, and it's one of those things. It's an enterprise-sized customer, um, but not so much that they need you know, really enterprise scale. It's more just that they're very distributed in terms of having you know, data centers here in the U.S. and a couple in Europe, whatever. And it's sort of like, well, do I want, you know, if, I, if, if, I, if you had asked me right now, would I deploy uh, 2010 Enterprise or would I wait for 2013? Because, like I said, in, in order to get the high availability they're looking for, um, uh, 2010 Enterprise would make sense, but uh, we have so much more options and standard uh, uh, with Link 2013 that you know. Uh, and again, they don't really need the scale that that uh, from Enterprise Server. They just really need kind of high availability. I mean, it, now there's so many more options um, uh, in, in 2013 along those lines. I, I don't know if I you know. I, it's kind of a shame. The timing is really not quite exactly perfect to say. Well, why don't you just wait for 13? <laughs> So what's the tipping point then to pick 2013 over 2010? Is it external third-party applications, uh, devices that it's got to interoperate with, or are there any other uh, organization considerations? Uh, I would say that, and I would also say, you know, obviously the company's, you know, aversion to risk. A lot of companies, again, we're in the same boat with Exchange 2013 right now. If you were still on 2007 or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, you know and, and you plan on going to 2010, would you just now say screw it and go to 2013? I mean, you know, some companies I would say, yeah, we should. Uh, well, it's not an option, is it? At the moment, you know, we, we well, can wait until next June. This is right. This is true. But yeah, let's assume that the rest of the are there. Uh, but for Link, it's it's like well, you know, a month from now, you could be deploying it on top of 2010 theoretically, uh, fully supported. True. Yeah, and you can, and uh, you can pilot it uh, in uh, a coexistent env environment. So you shouldn't move it until you're 100% certain it will uh, work uh, the way you want. But uh, um, yeah, I think uh, we will see a lot of uh, 2013 cases coming up. And the, the hybrid uh, with Link uh, for on-premises uh, to the cloud. Uh, that was the, the third takeaway you had, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it was. And um, as everyone knows, uh, 2013 will support uh, shared namespace. Yeah, that's uh, huge to me. With, uh, between the on-premise and the online part. So you can uh, deploy users both on-premise and online, as you could uh, can with the Exchange. So how does that work? Um, actually, it works through the Edge server. 
so you um, uh, you um, implement um, actually the same way with dersync and uh, and stuff like that through the A ADFS uh, with uh, Office 365. Um, yeah. And um, for Link, it's going through the Edge server, so it's kind of like a federation thing, but it's shared. Yeah, it never really made any sense, because if you remember back to the OCS days, you had that static phone route, um, which would work, and that's how, like, you know, if you ever integrated with a call manager or cups, whatever, um, that's how they would get it to work. You know, and Link, that still is, and it was never technically supported to do it with, with, with two OCS or Link orgs, even though it, it worked in OCS for sure, uh, and it was never supported, and it was certainly frowned upon. In Link, I could never get it to work right. Um, but uh, that's kind of the, I think the shared namespace is one of the biggest biggest deals about 13 and one that's kind of overlooked because that's going to open up a lot of scenarios for people that you just couldn't, couldn't do before yeah and you also can use um, uh, hybrid voice which is uh, you can uh, have users in link online utilizing your local PBX or uh, zip trunk so you can uh, have the same um, phone routing, and for uh, countries that don't have link to phone, you could deploy uh, voice for um, online users. So there's a um, caveat there that I want to point out is that users that uh, schedule meetings online, they won't get dial-in conferencing. Uh, like the on-premise users does because it's the local pool that uh, decides the capabilities. So it's like more linked to phone through the PBX than it's more uh, than it is on-premise enterprise voice for the online users. So that means uh, to get the dialing conferencing for online users when they book uh, conferencing schedules, they actually need that uh, third-party dial-in conferencing product from uh, Office 365. So that could be a deal breaker for, for some users that you might consider moving up there if you, you don't want to have two different conferencing systems or, or conferencing providers. Yeah, or you could uh, train the users that if you want a dial-in conference you should get someone to create it, create a meeting on, a, on the on-premise solution. Uh, That's a good workaround. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the third thing I want to mention, I won't spend much time on it, is uh, now the link client uses linkdiscoverdomain.com to um, uh, sign in and discover the pool. Uh, and that was actually a huge uh, news for me. I don't know if you guys knew this. No. But uh, it actually uses the link discover you have for link mobile. Right. Uh, so link discover will... Uh, the, when the mobile client is signing in right now, um, it is um, uh, asking uh, for what is my pool, uh, and he gets a reply back: your pool is this and that, and you log on with it to this URL. So now the link client as well will use Link Discover uh, to do this, and it will be redirected without signing into any pools uh, quite easily. So, so you don't need an internal SRV record anymore then. Uh, you you should deploy them still, okay. but uh, the first one it will hit is Link Discover and Link Discover internal is deprecated, <laughs> is decommissioned. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, it's just Link Discover and uh, 
this is useful for backup pool scenario or where you have uh, a single zip domain across edge servers because um, users won't sign into the pool they are not um, attached to. So they will use link discover, discover the pool they belong to and uh, sign into the pool uh, they should use. And if you are if you are in a backup pool scenario where you have a failure situation, the um, pool that has been failed over to will return its values through link discover. So the link client will sign in to the new pool. So uh, link discover guys is uh, getting more um, attention in 2013. Cool. And onto the exchange ignite. Uh, Michael, you were there, uh, was it last week or the week before? Um, it was actually um, the week before uh, in Amsterdam that I followed the Ignite. And it was actually pretty cool because um, there were several speakers. Um, you had Scott Schnall talking about exchange. And then it was uh, Alistair Spears uh, talking about Office 365. So... Basically, there was a lot of um, uh, information about um, some marketing stuff, of course, and it was a good repeat of Mac to get some um, technical content directly from Scott regarding, uh, for instance, high availability, uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, that was, was interesting. And you're going to be delivering that... Uh or you've done your first delivery of that already, haven't you? Uh, I have. Uh, so this week there was a bootcamp week that Microsoft Belgium organized for uh, partners and even customers. And uh, basically during this week there were uh, several Ignite events. So you had the ones for Link, SharePoint, uh, and then the one that I gave about Office 365, Office and Exchange. And basically it was a three-day course uh, talking about... Um, the new stuff in, in Office 365, in Exchange. Uh, but there was a fair bit of Office uh, with regards to Office web apps, uh, the new functionalities in Office, and um, the punchline that you should retain from those three days, uh, or basically that's what I, uh, what I retained from it, is that um, you really notice that all the products within the Office suite now really better work together. So I'm so glad that they finally aligned the release dates for all the products, which they didn't in, in the past. Um, and uh, it's, it's nice to see what you can do with all those products. But at the same time, it's a bit um, uh, a bit tough because um, you realize that you really need all those products as well. So if you want to have the full experience um, and really leverage the entire functionality in those products, then um, you're looking at deploying Exchange and SharePoint and Office Web Apps and using the Office 2013 client or alternatively uh, really going to Office 365, which has all of that already. Um, but I can see that becoming an issue for some companies because if you want oh, to yeah. use site mailboxes, then you're looking at Exchange 2013 and you're looking at uh, SharePoint 2013 and usually these products, uh, these projects, sorry, are uh, massive big projects that take a lot of time. So I can't imagine seeing any customer running any of these advanced functionalities uh, anytime soon, though. So it wasn't all Exchange 2013 then that week? No, no, definitely not. Um, I'd say there was about a third about Exchange, um, which covered the changes in the architecture, uh, talked about uh, some of the compliance features and obviously about DLP, one of the big things. Um, we talked about high availability and yes, the changes in site resiliency because uh, they they make up a pretty 
big share of the improvements. Um, and then we really did take a look at, okay, how the hybrid stuff changed or improved and how the office products work better with Exchange. So we talked about the apps in Outlook uh, and what you could do with it. And we even did take a look at how you could develop your own apps as well. Okay, so the, hy- so the hybrid uh, experience, how's that improved? Well, they made some changes to the hybrid configuration wizard, which basically is now, um, uh, w- which runs now from the EAC as well. So it's it's uh, it's uh, web driven, but it uh, takes care of um, of some things that uh, that uh, the the older, uh, if you will, uh, hybrid configuration wizard didn't uh, take care of. It's adaptive, so it will check what you already configured and uh, leave that out of the wizard if you already did some stuff regarding um, transport service and stuff. So that's that's one of the area of improvements. And another area, of course, is the hybrid management. So before, if you wanted to manage your hybrid environments, you had the ECP on-premises and you had a different uh, exchange control panel in Office 365. You had your console uh, on-premises, which could manage a part of Office 365. Um, so basically, you had to switch between dif- different um, tools to be able to manage your uh, hybrid configuration, whereas now you still have PowerShell for both environments and you have a single console, so the uh, EAC, the Administrative Console Web Interface, which you can use to switch easily from um, your on-prem environments to uh, Office 365 within the same window, and that is a real, real big time saver. So does that pull the information in, or is it uh, a link between two tenants back and forward? Well, uh, well I say on-premise and the tenant. Well, what it is, it's um, it's it's basically switching between the interface from uh, your on-premises environments and um, Office 365. So if you click the Office 365 part, you also notice that the URL changes to Office 365, but it's tied in together. So just a simple example, if you are in the Exchange Administrative Center in your on-premises environment and you start a mailbox move, so a migration from a mailbox to Office 365, if you click the link um, which says, well, I'm moving to Office 365, it will actually open the wizard from the Office 365 um, Exchange Administrative Center. So you don't have to go into the Exchange Administrative Center in Office 365 first to open up the wizard. You don't have to, um, like you do in PowerShell, specify that it's a remote mailbox move so that it knows that it has to be ran from Office 365. Um, it, it's a seamless experience from an uh, administrator point of view. So, Michael, what would you say the key takeaways that you can mention are from the Exchange Ignite? Um, Basically, um, Exchange has a lot of improvements uh, towards manageability, uh, one, high availability, two. But um, the biggest key point is if you want to leverage the entire functionality that's in Exchange and all all of its improvements, you'll be looking at uh, installing pretty much uh, the entire Office Suite on-premises. So that's a, a pretty clear one there. Uh, it's time to get out your gloves and start installing SharePoint and then if you really want to get the, the most, or we'll learn everything there is to learn about Exchange 2013. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, that's a pity. Well, I'm not saying that you have to do to be a SharePoint expert, but uh, no. if you want to use site mailboxes, then you have to know the SharePoint site as well if you want to implement it in Office uh, in Exchange. So you'll be looking at so it. So it's, it's SharePoint anyway. It's SharePoint from an infrastructure 
uh, knowledge rather than understanding how to uh, you know create web applications on it. Yeah, well, you don't need to know how to make a web application to make uh, a side mailbox work. Uh, so having a high level yes. overview should be enough. Yeah, so it's it's that uh, infrastructure side. Yeah, it is. Uh, which is something. Uh, we've all probably done once or twice at least, even if you're, you're solely focused on exchange. Uh, moving along, at, uh, as we've went on for absolutely ages on these Ignites, uh, the iOS calendaring issues. Uh, Joanne uh, was pointing out uh, a knowledge base article that Microsoft have published that explains uh, these iPhone uh, iOS 6 issues in more detail. Yeah, well, it only displays one of the issues, and when reading the forums, there are people say they have many issues with it. But uh, this specific issue uh, um, talks about uh, an, an an issue with what orders if uh, an attendee uh, reacts on a on a meeting request, and then the uh, in some cases the meeting organizer is changed to the to the attendee. So it's a pretty serious issue, um, and this will cause that the uh, meeting uh, re meeting will not be displayed correctly uh, in all uh, all the clients. Um, yeah, what you what you what you what Microsoft recommends at this moment is uh, block iOS uh, six and uh, don't allow it to uh, to active sync with your Exchange environment, uh, and that. And they mentioned that they are currently uh, investigating the issue uh, together with Apple. So I'm pretty uh, curious what uh, where the uh, the the cause of this uh, of this issue is. But I think it's in, it's in the iOS again. Yeah, the the, the KV seemed uh, fairly clear that it's an Apple issue. Uh, if you yeah. uh, need to chase it up, speak to to Apple in particular. Uh, it's not there's not something wrong with Exchange. A Apple's perfect is impossible. This cannot be the case. <laughs> John, it is this time. <laughs> no, so, and it's not the first time. No, so John, you, you, you love Apple. So what do you do when you raise a PSS call with Apple? Or does it you can, go you on, can't, except for the times it does? No, you can call Apple's you're, you're board. Uh, you basically, you might as well... They don't have to yeah, you might as well bang so your head in the wall, because it's always that catch too, and, and it's not... So can I can I take my iPhone into an Apple store, perhaps, and <laughs> the genius? And say this doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, to get this meeting request problem. Uh, they were pretty good when my iPhone started uh, expanding and growing and, and the battery is about to explode. They gave me a new one. So maybe they'll be able to sort that out. No, yeah, and it's always, <laughs> a, it's always the, the case. I mean, you know, Microsoft, you know, they license ActiveSync, uh, but the vendors choose which and how much of it and which way to, you know. So sometimes there's flat-out bugs, and then there's sometimes they, they, they simply just don't support certain verbs or, or whatever. So it is, unfortunately, kind of a wild west. And this is always this happens with this has happened with every single release of iOS. Um, you know, but, always. A, but in all seriousness, what is the support path to? What what is the support path to go to? Well, I mean, usually you bring up a PSS. PSS would then start working with Apple. I mean, that's usually the, the case I've seen. So you can't go. You can't go to Apple directly. I don't think so. Uh, there's there's got to be enterprise customers that can, uh, but I've never seen one. Well, again, but remember though, I mean, you know, Apple. It's like, like I said, it's a catch point too. 
who's who's it's it's Microsoft's technology, but it's Apple's implementation of it, right? So it's really the onus should be on Apple to fix it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but you shouldn't have to raise a if you raise a PSS call, then it's not a bug in exchange, so you get charged for it. Uh, well, you'd expect anyway. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft's always been pretty good about it, as far as I know. Um, look, but and, and all things being equal, right now it's the number one accessing client, right? So, you know, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird situation because on one hand, yeah, it's really it's Apple's. If it's a known issue with Apple's implementation of an action an accessing, they should they should support it. They should resolve it, right? And they should do do a good you know do uh, diligence on doing that and I know Apple is usually pretty responsive once Microsoft does open up a, an issue um, um, you know it's not like Apple just goes ah we'll get around to it you know usually they're pretty pretty good about uh, getting it done I mean, again if it works both ways uh, you know I, uh, iOS was great until version uh, 2 came well, was 2 came around ActiveSync right or is it 3 I forget now but until we had until we ActiveSync you know iOS was Nowhere near as good in corporations than 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 it was going to you know was without having accessing. So it's in their both in their best interest to make sure it's a good platform. And it's one other and it's another reason I can go off on a rant on Android right now. That the situation with accessing on Android, do you think it's bad on iOS? It's it's a it's it's beyond abysmal on 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 Android right now because not only uh, are different clients supported between different hardware manufacturers and different uh, Android OS versions. But you also have each one of those and combinations of, the, of those. Because uh, uh, I start, why am I on two X? Because I'm talking about Android. Um, but you have certain device vendors. You know, we all know Motorola's don't support the the redirect verb. So when you you know you have people have droids, that's a fun migration. Yeah. You know, that's that's that's. Yeah, it. Isn't that just? <laughs> it, it's like a few different uh, ones, though, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we, we could say how terrible. Androids are, but the, the, the thing is, we, we've been saying that for a long time, <laughs> and it, it's really obvious that uh, it's it's just an absolute minefield. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not an Apple fan per se, but I, I wrote a book about the, the iOS devices, so I must I must like them a little bit. Uh, but I, and I do think in general that they are pretty good, and Apple have been good about releasing these tools, but they don't seem very. But <laughs> they Okay, Apple aren't very open. Uh, that's no. that goes without saying. Yeah. But when there's issues like this, they should be a little bit more open because it, it doesn't seem fair on Microsoft to have to release knowledge base articles acknowledging that there's a problem with something they didn't even make. Uh, yeah, I agree. But I mean, on one hand, I think Microsoft's taking the high road. I mean, you know, it makes sense. It's 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 you know, there's no there's nothing to be gained for for, for Microsoft to point the finger at Apple. I don't think, and just the same way, it wouldn't be make any sense for Apple to do it. I think generally they work pretty well together to get these things uh, uh, you know, resolved. Though. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you reckon? Blocking them? Well, this one yeah. issue is. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's really that, that's. A, I mean, I, I think so. Again, that, that's the recommendation from Microsoft. Is they, they, quite when you look at work around. I, I don't know whether you're going to get away with blocking them, though. No, that's nonsense. Because <laughs> they're, they're going to update themselves. And, you know, the, what are you going to say to uh, people who are, who are using this for business and rely on them? You can't say, sorry, uh, <laughs> we can't downgrade the device. Uh, here, yeah, well, we're going to give them instead. Yeah. They need these devices because they're essential. I, I would uh, be not trouble on a day-to-day basis without having a mobile device with email of some kind, and without it, 
Yeah, okay, but what about the risk that a meeting request gets fucked up because yeah, when reading uh, several forums, also they make rumors, it's a, which is in the Apple world, it's a pretty known forum. I mean, the only... Uh, it, it advises the, the, uh, the Fortune 500 companies uh, <laughs> not, to, uh, not to upgrade to iOS 6. Yeah, but, but that's one, and that's a rumor. And how long did that last? And other exceptions for certain people? Who, who knows? Yeah. Uh, th there is uh, some uh, way around it. There's a touchdown. The reasonably popular client Android uh, has been released uh, not that long ago for, for iOS. That's available, but, though it's quite expensive. I think uh, in England it's uh, about 13, 14 quid. So it's not cheap, but there's that as an option. They've got corporate licensing. Uh, and that, perhaps with a bit more development, could be a really good mail plan as well, because it looks all right. You know, they, they went for the iOS look, uh, which is a bit better than the Android one, which just doesn't seem to look like the rest of Android. Uh, so they, they went for the right look. Um, and it's containerized as well, so it's, it's standalone. It sits on its own. So if you wipe it, it wipes just the app. Uh, and yeah, on the, the, the downside, it doesn't have true push email. It's using, uh, I think, badges for notifications uh, rather than proper activity. Yeah, and then just to go back to, to Touchdown, um, it's getting a lot of traction on Android to solve the issue I was talking about, which is like, you know, kind of all over the place. Um, in MDM solutions as a secure container, I've seen it more and more now where it's like, you know, we can't, we can't write to the native mail app on Android because we don't know what that app's going to look like. So here, here you yeah. know, I'm an MDM vendor, here's my secure container, um, you know, and now you know exactly what the deal is with that, that client, you know. The downside for the user is, A, you know, ambiguity of which mail client is which and which one does what, and, you know, uh, but no consistency between the look and feel on the, on the, on the platform. Um, two, the other issue I, I still have, and I, I wish Microsoft would, would resolve this, you know, the default limit in Act for Actorsync is 10 devices uh, for a user. I mean, it used to be that was a lot. I mean, what are the odds you're going to have 10 Actorsync devices? But uh, increasingly, especially with Windows 8, and people have multiple devices. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's kind of crazy. I'm, I, I've had, I mean, I might be a corner case right now, but I've had to update that. And plus, on Android, every, every Actorsync client clicks that one more, you know, so you might, if you have three uh, Actorsync clients on a, on a single device, that's three... Three, you know, three checks across against that that limit. So, you know, my recommendation. And a lot of the time, if you do uh, an OS upgrade as well, it doesn't retain some settings sometimes on Android, uh, so it might show up as a different device yep. all over again yep. because it will re-establish that relationship. Uh, but how, what, what do you, what do you say? Bring back BlackBerry. All is forgiven. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to say that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I come across it uh, you know, almost daily, but. Uh, uh, it, it's it's set for ActiveSync in a way that uh, things like this uh, ActiveSync uh, certification program never took off. And uh, the last version was iOS four, where it was certified by Apple, and that was a, a far from perfect implementation. Still, uh, that, that had all sorts of issues with things like redirection not working properly, uh, but it got certified. <laughs> Maybe they just needed someone to make it the numbers. Because uh, who was the other? Uh, was it? Uh, Windows Mobile 6.5? Was it that, that long ago? That seems like a thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I so have one here if you want to... 
But, but yeah, those things never got updated. The Apple have had no motivation to keep on updating because they've got that certification. So there's, there's people, probably myself included, going, you know, the Apple devices, they're certified with Exchange, when really that you can't get a version that you can't buy a new device that is certified to fractal sync with Exchange. And anything new you buy now has just got uh, at least one serious bug. Uh, another serious bug with uh, Active Sync on iOS, uh, people have mentioned, is uh, push email stops working. And that's one of those things where it sounds like, yeah, are you sure? Uh, but I've seen it myself. Uh, my device might not update for half an hour now, and it did before. I haven't seen that issue with, with my iDevice. Yeah, I mean, again, the biggest one with, the, with, the, with the, the meeting one is like making changes to meetings on the phone. I mean, I, I, I know people obviously in corporate world will do that. Have I ever made a change to a meeting uh, request on, on an iOS device from the calendar app? I can't even think of one time. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's a corner case, but obviously, you know, people do it, and that's why we're seeing it. So, Well, the best advice generally is, uh, I think it's uh, Michael B. Smith who keeps on reiterating it on one uh, distribution list on him, is don't use the app, any mobile app, to edit calendar appointments right. because it'll screw them up. Right. Uh, if you're going to edit it, edit it on the device that you created it from. Or on a desktop app where you know it's yeah. the highest function so of the client, right? If you use Outlook to do it, yeah. use Outlook. If you use... I think there's also, not, there's also not a Microsoft models based on call about it. Yeah, yeah, Paul Robertson. That's not bad for us. Yeah, how to handle uh, yeah. how, how to handle the, the meeting requests because yeah, I've also seen strange scenarios, customers. Yeah, Paul Robertson had a good article yesterday on, on this very you know, update kind of he had from another one he made a, a few days ago, and you know Microsoft's uh, in the KB two seven six eight seven seven four. They kind of list some workarounds, but it's sort of like all right, some of them are like yeah, block devices like you're talking about. That's not really workaround. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but one interesting thing is if you do want to block devices or see how many there are, uh, if you have a look at your active sync devices, uh, on previous versions it was uh, a hexadecimal value which varied with region uh, for the iOS version, but now you can see the, the OS version straight away it will say that it's, it's iOS 6. Uh, so you'll be able to pick those out uh, by pulling out the, uh, the information from the active sync device statistics in Exchange 2010. Uh, so what I probably should do before this episode goes out is update uh, iOS device uh, version script that I've got uh, to cover that. So I'll do that before uh, you hear this episode uh, and you'll be able to pull out a list of what iOS devices you've got, what versions they are and see whether it's something you need to tell your users about. Because the, yeah, users don't always read emails, you send them from IT describing a problem, but you, you could consider that as, as an option. Tell your users with iOS 6 devices that there's an issue and to avoid doing this certain thing. And then they can carry on doing what they're doing rather than just blocking them. Yeah, perhaps we should also mention that there's a uh, page which Microsoft keeps current with uh, current issues uh, with Active Change, uh, Active Sync clients, um, and uh, issues uh, which are still resolved or could be mitigated uh, and uh, also like to mention um, someone from the pro exchange community in Belgium perhaps Michael knows this person has put up a nice overview of the history of iOS 
Exchange uh, Active Sync compatibility uh, issues. <laughs> and that link should. Is, is that a long post? Um, it's a reasonable post. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think we should push out, we'll also put it up in the in the article. So, that link. Cool. Okay. We've got we've got the link, so that'll go in. And moving on to, to something a bit more uh, in the realm of good news is uh, Microsoft have put out uh, a new tool that, that Serpent's going to tell us about. Uh, and if you've ever had to to do it, then you'll think this is a great tool. And uh, it's the Exchange 2010 Data Center Switchover Troubleshooter. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a nice name, isn't it? It's a long name. Yeah, bit of a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you've done it, if you've tested it, or you continue to test it on a regular basis, this is going to be something that that you really want to have a look at. Yeah, it? it is. And the first point is, if you haven't tested your DAC mode, get going and test it. <laughs> because uh, you will have lots of different issues while testing it so this is a great tool if you are if you haven't planned your dr or dr scenarios or if you planned it but not sure that if it's going to work or not you can use this tool and it's a actually a powerpoint presentation you can just download it from the uh, exchange team blog and the way it runs is you have to go into this uh, presentation and click the buttons and it will ask you questions point by point and for example you will have the option to say well I don't have my primary data center is not accessible it's not online and according to your answers it will give you the commands that you will be using during your DAC so this, this is definitely a tool for testing. You don't want to be relying on a PowerPoint presentation when exactly. your main office building is just burned down. Exactly. This is for troubleshooting purposes. So what you might want to use it for is actually for building your own plan when a disaster happens. Because everybody yeah. needs a DR plan if something is going to happen to your exchange on your primary site. Yeah, you're either going to fail it over or bring it back do a switch over so this is a great tool uh, to document your uh, needs and if as I said if you haven't tested your DAC mode this will be a really good helpful tool and so as I mentioned all the, the different things like uh, that you need to have in place beforehand like uh, the, the fail back URL no uh, as well as a, a fellow URL. No, not, not those things. It's actually giving you the commands that you are going to use, for example, for stop database availability group. And it's also giving you uh, the exact command that we are going to use with uh, stopping and restoring and starting the database availability group. So this is mostly to help you with uh, not your design, but to help you with what you are going to encounter while doing while taking these steps so uh, I would rather have a, like visual diagram that will show me all the options that I have but you guys can download this tool and try looking at it I did build a similar tool for myself 
a few months ago for my own use for a project uh, but this is more complicated and this is going to give you more options and will help you a lot uh, have you guys took a look at it or have you, has anyone else have any ideas I've not looked at this well, it is interesting, but um, you know, it's it's a PowerPoint presentation. Come on, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 isn't that scary? That, that gives me crap. <laughs> so it's it's like coming in at the customer and saying, "Well, I got the tool for you. Let me just fire up this presentation, and this will help you." <laughs> yeah. um, but one of my colleagues, one of my colleagues was doing that, uh, doing that as part of his testing to uh, for an implementation he was doing. And I, I popped over or, or popped up to Carlotta helping with, with some of that and uh, uh, it, it would have been useful to give him something like that up front so he understood the process a bit better rather than just pointing at the, the articles uh, before we went and, uh, and did all the testing you know so it's, it's going to have its uses I always do my data center uh, failover testing just in production just by you know, breaking a cluster or something to see how it works mm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are like what are you, what are you talking about <laughs> I have also looked at the, the tool and I understand the purpose of the, the creator of the thing but when looking at it it's just a, a, a split a split the article has been split into several slides and just by clicking through it you get to all the decisions and stuff but the workflow has been more uh, appropriate in my opinion yeah. I totally agree. So it's definitely worth, uh, yeah. definitely worth taking a look at that. If, if, if he would have put it in, in Visio, for instance, with a with a workflow, just uh, with an if-then-else structure uh, or an if-no structure, that, that would have been more useful because you would have had a total overview. So perhaps that's something that we guys could work on, putting that into a Visio and post it on the website. Oh, yeah. I already started doing it for myself, so I'll probably finish it by next week so we can put it on the website. Let's do it like one of those old uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books. <laughs> Have a day. Go to page 25. <laughs> it can also put to new meaning to the to that by PowerPoint when you click uh, wrong day and your data center will get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, so Exchange 2013, this uh, for three sites, data centers with uh, independent links, and so this could be a thing of the past anyway, couldn't it? Yeah, well, not not entirely. You know, uh, you, if you want to have an automatic switch over, then you'll have to be, or you're looking at three sites. So if you don't have that, there are still some manual actions that you need to take. But it will be greatly simplified. So the PowerPoint will still apply, but the, it will have to be uh, adapted for Exchange 2013. Though. Yeah, I don't think the commands have changed on 2013 for the same scenario. So. Well, well, not for the same scenario, but for for, for more scenarios, yeah. with uh, three, you know, three data centers, uh, unified namespace, all that kind of thing. Yeah, so they they added some more possibilities. So they'll they'll just have to adapt a, po a PowerPoint presentation. But anyway, the tool uh, presentation, whatever you'd like to call it, will still be useful, though, definitely. We're talking of Exchange Twenty Thirteen. Our next topic is. Uh, about the beta exams, which have just been made uh, available uh, at 
and I think they are nowadays for some people are going to be chargeable uh, beta exams. Uh, there's a bit of a mix. I've been told that they're all going to be chargeable, uh, and then some, some codes were released that uh, were free. Uh, but they're running until I think the eighth of November. Uh, has anyone put themselves onto the Exchange 2013 beta exams yet? I have. Yes. 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 Has anyone so that's not? A few of us. <laughs> so I'm I'm booked in for I think the sixth and the seventh of November. So so I'll give myself a couple of days uh, to to revise for it as well. Uh, but the, there's two main exams for the exchange part, uh, which is core solutions uh, of Exchange 2013, which sounds similar but uh, maybe harder than the MCTS part uh, of 2010, and uh, on the, on the, I suppose the equivalent to MCITP, it's the Advanced Solutions of Exchange Server 2013. Uh, but on their own, they won't give you this MCSC in, in messaging, uh, because you've got to have the, the Windows Server 2012 uh, MCSA as well. Which, if you've got MCITP, uh, I think it's Server Admin, you can upgrade. Yeah. Uh, with 70-417. Right, if you have MCSA 2008, that'll give you MCSA 2012. And then yeah. you can unlock the other tests. And, then, and, I, and I didn't realize this until looking through the roadmap. So once you get your MCSA 2012, uh, the if you get these specified, or, you know, uh, as we say, specialized, um, you know, both the link uh, test and both the exchange test, then you get MCSE messaging um, uh, you know, there's, there's a mes- MCSE messaging, MCSE communications, MCSE cloud. Uh, I didn't really realize it before. Uh, that's just something that's really interesting. They have all- so, how do you think it'll feel? Have you got an MCSE again yet? No, uh, I have. I got my, my yeah, my, my MCSE got upgraded away. Uh, I'm, I'm other than these betas and then the Windows 8 beta, I, I'm going to take also for, just for fun. Um, uh, the 417 is what I've been really focused on getting, getting done. Yeah. Have you done much revision on that yet, then? I'm pretty much uh, probably about a week before scheduling. Um, you know, I think I'm getting ready to schedule. I've scheduled it, I think, the week after these exams. I originally got it for the Friday the ninth, um, but I think sensibly moved that on a week and gave myself a couple of days to start with it. I've done some 2012 stuff with Hyper-V so far, uh, so, you know, I've I'm very comfortable with it, but I haven't done a lot. I certainly not an expert on twenty twelve just yet, uh, so I, I don't know whether two days is going to be. Super yeah, cheap. I'm I'm learning a lot more on twenty twelve, like you know, by studying it for it, and also I I you know finished upgrading all my physical boxes to twenty twelve. So you know, now figuring out like which pieces, like I you know he's installing IPAM, the IP address management stuff. Like there's a lot of new stuff that I you know didn't read about when there was a beta and stuff, so I'm like, oh, let's just do it, let's just do it, it's kind of cool. I think there's some jumpstart training uh, bits available, uh, which will pop up on the episode, because there's a, a live meeting style session, and I think some materials as well. Yeah, next to, week I think there's, going. A, there's a session, right? Two days? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we should definitely put a link to that. Yeah, uh, so, so that will have started by the time the episode goes out. Uh, 
But uh, I think the downloadable stuff, though, is, is probably worth a look. Uh, I'll probably use the downloadable stuff as my base for uh, ticking off the boxes that I need to learn at the moment. I've just got the basic exam outlines for all the component exams for the upgrade. Uh, and uh, I was going to go with that, but I think the jumpstart materials will perhaps make a, a, a better uh, path to the learning because there's so much new stuff in 2012. And it does seem weird that to get this, uh, the messaging or communications MCSC, that you have to be certified on a call server thing, but it, it makes sense because you know, I'm not an expert on direct access by any means, I don't really uh, understand all of it, but uh, I think that would have really helped if I'd have been forced to have done that uh, at least in some depth uh, for 2008. In fact, shortly I must have, I've got uh, MCS, well, MCITP. EA and well, enterprise admin and server administrator, so I must have done some direct access stuff at some point and just forgotten it. So maybe uh, I'll pay a bit more attention this time around. Yeah, I know. I mean, even even just in the, in the simple stuff like uh, you know changes for DC promo and stuff, you know, in twenty twelve from even two thousand eight in R two. I mean, that's just kind of stuff like oh well, you move that okay, you know, <laughs> and those are the kind of things we deal with all the time. So. Yeah, those, you just noticed that once. I, I hope the exam doesn't ask questions uh, like that, uh, because the previous upgrade exam from MCSE 2003 to 2008, and maybe this is why I didn't need to learn too much about direct access, was too simple. It, there was not much to it at all. Yeah, I, remember, I, I took the betas exam. probably in 2007, so or whenever they, yeah, I passed both the betas for EA and SA, so, so I, that's the last OS level what I've taken in a long, long time. But yeah, I, I did that, and I think I did the, the pro exam after that. Uh, but there's just a, a real disappointment when you do an upgrade exam. And you, you, you've done a bit of revision, but you thought, oh, you know, I'm just going to wing it. Then you go in and you're like, next, next, yep, yeah, I know the answer to that. And you, I was done in under 15 minutes. And it's, it's good to pass, but it's also not so good to feel that you didn't really get pushed because I was expecting to maybe have to retake it uh, before I went. Uh, and then when I came out, I, I, I didn't feel like I was particularly wise for passing it. So I'll be really disappointed if I put in a lot of work for the server 2012 grade exam because I, you know, I, I don't want to have to retake it. Uh, I don't have a, an endless supply of exam vouchers. I did when I previously took that upgrade exam for 2008, but I, I don't now, so I'm going to put in a lot of work before I do it. So if it if it turns out to be far too easy, then yeah, it's going to be great that I've put in that effort to, to learn stuff, but uh, you know, I'll be a bit disappointed if it doesn't push me a bit. So a final note on those bigger exams, though, is uh, the upgrade to this uh, MCSA in Server 2012. Uh, there is some good news on the back of that, and uh, that's that you can upgrade, apparently, as I, I don't know whether this is some sort of misprint, but it sounds pretty good. You can upgrade from MCITP on Exchange or Link to the Server 2012 MCSA. So you don't have to be a 2008 uh, Server Administrator, for example, or Enterprise Administrator to do that upgrade. Uh, if you've not done one, done one before, you've got a, a, you've got only three exams that you need to do to go from MCITP Link or MCITP Exchange to to get your MCSC in messaging or communications. So that, that that's a, a silver lining anyway. Uh, but moving on to our, our 
final major topic of the day, uh, and that's uh, a little uh, but fairly uh, important update for Exchange 2010 Service Pack 2. Uh, so, Update Rollup 4 was released uh, a short while back uh, and brought uh, in quite a few uh, fixes, but that's been re-released uh, with just one small fix, uh, but the main reason for this re-release is due to a uh, certificate issue on the, the signing of the actual binaries, I believe. Yeah, I think that also was the uh, the main reason, besides that there's uh, one additional fix in the one for uh, 2010 with some searching issue, I believe. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the out I think it's the Outlook uh, doesn't uh, provide search results or, or something along those lines. Uh, and the, the other uh, 2007 update roll-up, is it update roll-up 7 uh, for service pack 3 was re-released? Uh, and uh, update roll-up 8, I've just been reminded. Update roll-up 7 for Exchange Server 2010 service pack 1. Update roll-up 8 for Exchange Server 2007 service pack 3. Those are the other two that have been uh, re-released uh, as, as version 2 is due to this, this binary signing issue and apparently the, the core reason for this is because the code signing issue uh, the code signing certificate used uh, on these binaries has got a, a fairly short uh, expiry day uh, they haven't released how long into the future that is uh, but if you don't reapply this update and you you spend a lot of time testing patches before deploying them or you don't always keep up to up to date with patches and this is one that uh, you got through Windows Update uh, and weren't planning to deploy another one anytime soon, you might need to actually pay attention to this and make sure that it's that, that it's installed uh, so that when you come to do a future update, either Service Pack 3 if you have to clear out Exchange 2013 or just another update roll-up at some point, you don't want to have problems being able to, to install that. Uh, and that, that's what Microsoft said the issue could be, that you won't be able to uh, remove the, the patch at a later date or do upgrades uh, after then. Uh, is, is, is there anything else I've missed on, on that, guys? Yeah, who's still on 2010 SP1? And why isn't there like a giant screen that flashes every day like, yo, get, get on <laughs> SP2, will ya? <laughs> maybe, maybe people just like, like it. Is, is it a good service pack? Well, it's also what, uh, a schema I, change in SP2, right? So that's usually one of the reasons why people drag. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's not been a year yet, and they're still releasing it, don't roll. Uh, I, I can think of a, a couple of other. It hasn't been a year yet, man. It seems like it's been a long time. <laughs> Were you a tech customer, aren't you? No, well, so uh, again, I agree. You, so uh, I, I think uh, I deployed service back to on tap in, you know, way probably June or July or something like that in 2011. So it, it seems like uh, a long time ago. Uh, TAP, if it's the first time you've heard us mention it, or you've heard us mention it on this episode, is the Technology Adoption Program, uh, which is early access to, to things. So Microsoft uh, want customers to uh, try code and see whether it breaks their environments before they, they throw it out to everybody else. And uh, that, That's what I was on my previous employer. That was, that was really interesting. It's definitely worth being on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so Service Pack 1, uh, I was on the, the tap for that as well. Uh, and that seems a long, long time ago. But, uh, you know, people were still deploying that, you know, probably 
uh, early this year, yes, especially people that were waiting on consultants that were, were very much set on service pack one and wanted to wait for issues. They could have been deployed as early as, as or as late as, as January 2012. So it's not that old in, in, in real terms. No, it seems old to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's about it for, for topics for today. We're going to move on to, to our, our single tip uh, this time around uh, with Stolle Hansen, uh, who's going to talk to us. Uh, it's, it's less of a tip, but it's, it's more about a, an updated tool. Uh, I think uh, it's the Link Profile tool, isn't that right, Stolle? Yes, it's the Profiles for Link version 2. And uh, the great thing now is uh, that it works for 2013 as well. And uh, if you don't have, haven't used uh, Profiles for Link earlier, it's a tool uh, created by uh, this guy named Greg. Actually, I don't know uh, what his uh, what his full name is. Uh, he just he just signs it with uh, Greg in Sydney. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's the name of him that I know. But um, it's a it's a tool where you can store different uh, Link uh, sign-in accounts, and you can easily switch between them. And uh, for a Link Pro, it's a really handy tool. I don't know if you, any of you guys have used it. Oh yeah, long, long time. Yeah, it's hugely uh, useful when you're trying to troubleshoot. You know, logging in and out of a million clients, and, and uh, it's awesome. Or yeah. if you support multiple customers, I you know, and, and I have my home environment. I have multiple people. I, you know, I, customers I support, or just test accounts, whatever, in different people's uh, environments, and it's just like nice to be able to bounce in and out of them, you know, easily. Yeah, so, so it's now it supports uh, up to 40 profiles and um, it sounds you uh, out and in super fast. So I really, uh, really um, uh, recommend it actually as I wrote on my blog. So it's got to be pretty useful if you've got a, a work link account and a personal oh, yeah. Office 365 based link account. So you yeah. can swap between the two. That, or customer um, you are troubleshooting or deploying or if you are deploying link uh, at um, uh, in, an, in a deployment and you want to test different uh, sign-in types or different types of user, it should be, um, be uh, useful. So We've his full name there. is uh, Greg Sheridan. So, thanks, uh, Michel. Thanks, Greg. You're the man. We shouldn't talk about how good it is because now he's going to want to charge us for it. <laughs> 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 but yes, that, so the, the tip is that you should be using it really if you're supporting Link uh, because it's going to be great. And, and even if you're not supporting Link, it's got to be a good tool for, for signing in and out of different profiles. Absolutely. Yeah, highly recommended. And we've only got one event to talk about this week, uh, but it's it's quite a big event, and uh, our very own uh, Michael Van Horenbeek is going there. Yeah, indeed. So I'm attending Tech Europe, which is a conference organized by Quest. Uh, no. Is that the Experts Conference? Yeah, it is the Experts Conference. Um, so you have it two times a year, one uh, once in the North America and once in Europe. Uh, basically, it's now Dell, uh, Dell Quest. Um, and they have got several tracks. So there is a track Active Directory, track Exchange, track Virtualization, and I think a track PowerShell. And uh, some of the world's biggest experts are talking. And this year for Exchange, there are people talking like Greg Taylor, uh, Tim McMichael, um, uh, Yapa Selius is talking also, Tony Redmond. Um, and Nathan Winters is there too. Uh, excuse me? 
Nathan Winters is another oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, full-time Microsofty that's there as well. I think he's got uh, he's got one or two sessions. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's talking about DLP, uh, if I'm right. So that that'll be very interesting as well. Um, so the the entire schedule actually is is full of great sessions. So I really look forward to it. And of course, it's uh, because it's it's rather small scale. You're only a few hundred people in total. Um, it gives you good networking uh, possibilities as well. So you've been to quite a few uh, exchange-based conferences then this year, haven't you? Um, let's say that since the beginning of September, I haven't been working very much. <laughs> so I've been to Mac, I've been to the Ignite, I'm going to Tech. Um, I think that'll be it for the rest of the year, but I've had my share, yeah. So we should give you a position as our roving reporter, I think, at some point, <laughs> as well as editor. Well, I'll, I'll take my camera with me, I'll make some footage and put it on the website. Yeah, I mean, uh, as someone that didn't go to, to Mac, uh, Seeing the pictures Ooh. was pretty good, especially seeing you guys uh, uh, getting your, your shirt signed and uh, having that photo with Tony Redmond as well. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, you've got to take some pictures and, and show us what it's like uh, there as well. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a, a great time in Barcelona. Oh yeah, I heard it's 24 degrees, so I'll have lots of fun. <laughs> uh, one of my oh wait, that's, that's Celsius, right? <laughs> I'm like, that's yeah, going to yeah, suck. <laughs> They had the Emerald there a few weeks ago, or was it? Yeah, last. I, I guess uh, last week it was, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, the customer, who's also a listener, hi Hugh, uh, was was there, and uh, he had uh, system problems back home. So the poor guy spent the whole week uh, in his hotel room, pretty much, uh, either sleeping because he was up late working, uh, or working. Uh, so hopefully you don't have. Uh, an experience like that and you get to take in some of the, the, the nice weather uh, as well as all that exchange goodness yeah well um i've uh, well the conference starts pretty uh, pretty early in the morning and sessions last up till five o'clock i think so most of the day you're 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 in um but if weather allows, you know, you go and grab a bite outside, you go and have a drink with some of the guys outside. So you hopefully I'll see some of the good things, uh, the good weather. Uh, but I'll let you know uh, next week. Of course, I will we'll wait to hear about that. Uh, the, the DLP stuff is, is uh, something I'm interested to learn a, a bit more about, actually. So that's something I'm going to do some, some of my own research on. Uh, so anything you can bring back about that, uh, I will be interested to hear about. I most certainly will. And uh, that brings up a great topic for one of the next episodes as well, because uh, I see huge differences for the use of DLP. For instance, here in Belgium, uh, we don't have really any regulatory needs. So the use case for DLP is rather small. But I hear a lot of positive things worldwide. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll be a great thing to talk about. And uh, all the information I can gather, I'll make it yours as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, and have a good time. Are you flying out uh, is it tomorrow? Um, tomorrow morning. So in about, I'd say, 12 hours, I'll be on a plane. 12 hours. Wow, you haven't got long to edit this episode, have you? Uh, uh, <laughs> definitely not, no. So uh, it'll be a late one, I think. <laughs> I'm not going to let you get away with that. I've done the last two, and I, 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 I don't know whether I'm going to uh, have the time to do one this weekend. Uh, if you can't, then uh, just let me know. 
Uh, and that's about it for uh, this show. Uh, so I'd like to thank uh, everyone for, for joining us on this show. John, Michael, Serkan, Joanne, Stolle and uh, Mikhail. Thank you very much for joining me this week. Uh, it was very much appreciated. Uh, and uh, our filling producer uh, this week was Michael. Uh, who's been dinging me in my ears every few seconds to tell me that I'm going on for far too long and we should move on to the subject uh, that uh, was actually planned. So thank you very much for that, Michael. Uh, your uh, input to this episode has been essential and uh, you're also possibly our editor this week as well. <laughs> A.K.A. Uh, yours. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> so we want, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. So visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com uh, or on Twitter. Uh, we're at the UC Architects. And if you like Facebook, we're on there too at facebook.com slash the UC Architects. And we've got a LinkedIn group named the UC Architects. Uh, so the podcast episodes are available, if you don't know, on the iTunes store, the Zoom market space, and you can subscribe in RSS clients as well, like Outlook or or whatever you want. Uh, so if you want links to, to everything that we've had on the show today, uh, just check out our website and we'll have links to all the wonderful things that we've talked about. And we'll see you back uh, in two weeks' time for the next episode with Pat Hosting. So thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.